slash evening, and welcome to the Calories and Rice podcast, the second best China-Africa podcast you ever heard. Broadcasting from the heart of global China-Africa research, Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, joined by my co-host... And Jim Kalu. Hey, Dr. Kalu, I hope you're having a very lovely morning, even though today is gray and gloomy. It's been gray and gloomy all week, but it's a Sunday, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into that. Today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors, Africa Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Oduro, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. The Africa Daily is an online communications platform that provides the most up-to-date journalistic and academic information on China-Africa relations. The form incorporated in the website also facilitates the cultural and informational exchange among the diaspora communities in major Chinese and African cities. Today, we are recording over Skype in what is probably our longest distance call since we started this podcast because we are joined by a very special guest, Mr. Bob Wakesa. Originally from Kenya, Bob is a journalist and a PhD candidate at Communication University of China and a visiting researcher at the University of Witwatersrand. I'm sorry, do you want to interrupt? bad now. I mean, uh, the breakings and uh, it seems like no stuff scratching and so forth. It looks like we may not be able to proceed. As Mr. Okesa says, our connection isn't the best. So we're going to try and maybe blaze through this and, and get on it before, before we lose him. Bob is an incredible China-Africa researcher who specializes in China-Africa media, and he's going to um, bring his expertise to our discussion topic. Bob, how is your PhD coming along? My, my PhD is, uh, is, is coming on pretty well. I've uh, just finished defending my proposal and um, uh, you know gathering steam for you know the way ahead and the days, the coming uh, days, weeks, and months, just working on um, concluding my thesis. Uh, how, how long do you think it'll take for you to gather all the research and, and write this thing up? going to be another one and a half years, so I'm basically have about a year and a half here in Beijing, but I'll spend part of that time in South Africa at Witt uh, Waterland University in Johannesburg. That, that is fantastic. Um, I, I love what what uh, Witwatersand or Wits or whatever their, their name is is doing in terms of China-Africa reporting. Um, so I, I'm quite jealous of, of you heading out there. C- congratulations on, on defending, by the way. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, all right. So today's episode will have us discuss what the tragic Westgate attack, which took place in Nairobi on September 21st and left at least 67 people dead, means for Africa-China relations. The Chinese state has been fretting about the security of its Chinese nationals in Africa for a while, and having a Chinese woman die in that attack has done nothing to allay those fears. Bob is on hand to give his thoughts about what that attack means to both China and Kenya. So I'm going to start first. Bob, what is the significance of the Westgate attack to Chinese media? How is 
this attack different than the stories of, let's say, Chinese shopkeepers getting robbed and killed in other African countries, which does happen with some frequency? Um, I doubt I get you right, but uh, if I pick uh, a little bit of that, it is that uh, really the attack was uh, not on any particular nationality. It is, uh, you know, it was collateral damage for the other nationalities that were got in the crosshairs of the attack. And uh, to the extent that a Chinese lady uh, lost her life uh, was uh, part of probably collateral damage, like we, we put it. And, um, and therefore, I think the attack should be seen in the wider context of uh, the bidding war being uh, launched by uh, Al-Qaeda linked and Al-Shabaab um, militants out of uh, Somalia. I mean, is that the way that the Chinese media kind of saw it? it? It wasn't particularly targeted at the Chinese in general. It was just collateral damage in the war on terror, or, or not the war on terror. I'm sorry, the um, um, uh, the collateral damage of a terrorist attack. Well, I think from uh, the Chinese media end of things, and uh, I think this is one of the theoretical challenges that. Uh, one sees in uh, international media reporting. Uh, it was not only the Chinese media that focused more on uh, the nationality. There, there, there are sort of uh, nationalities caught uh, in the terror attack. But if you look at other media reporting, including from the US, UK, and other countries, you know, Ghana, for instance, South Africa, and other countries, they also, you know, focused more on who is the American who was killed in, in uh, the attack. So likewise, the Chinese went on and on about this Chinese lady who was, uh, they will put that up story. And from a communication perspective, it is uh, the domestication of our news. So mm. it, when, if there's a, an attack out of Nairobi of a terrorist nature that captures headlines, I guess, uh, you know, media practitioners, journalists for that matter, will want to look at what is the need for us. I mean, what uh, angle perspective do we use to make it look like um, a China uncle is uh, feasible and visible in the case. So um, speaking, we talked a little bit about domestication of the news, and we've talked about how it was presented um, in, in in China. How was, how was the Westgate attack presented in Kenya? I have a couple of friends from Kenya, and um, it was interesting to follow um, their comments and their views on the situation on Facebook, but um, what was your experience as a Kenyan, and and how was that also? Um, how how did you find the Kenyan media um, addressing the situation? Right. No, I, I think it, uh, in my opinion, it fell uh, short of uh, expectations, but particularly because as we watched um, and read about the event, even those of us who are Kenyan and living out of the country, we compared the, the coverage out of Kenya as well as coverage, say, on CNN or Associated Press or Reuters and international channels. And you could see that uh, in some instances, while the event was happening right in Nairobi, the Kenyan journalists were relying on Western sources for a story that is happening in a country where they are domiciled. This then goes to show that perhaps there's a, a level of limitation in coverage uh, of uh, events of a terrorist nature. Uh, similarly, when, I look, when we, uh, we analyzed um, you know, Chinese media coverage of the event, 
the Chinese media, you know, China Daily to particularly and CCTV as well as Sino News Agency and China Radio International, all have correspondents in Nairobi. Uh, but you could see that actually they were following the models, uh, sources from uh, Western news sources. And, and this one can identify by just looking at one story and going to the other and looking at the sources quoted as well as looking at the tone, as well as looking at the framing of the articles. So in the, from a media and communications perspective, one could actually say that Western media, to be specific, perhaps AP, Reuters, and CNN, sort of led the way in terms of the investigative angles of developments on the saga. Wow. Wow, I, I think it's a, a really good point. Well, I'm, I'm going to try and shift the discussion a little bit um, to, to talking about terrorism and Chinese media in, 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 in general. Uh, since the Westgate attack relates to terrorism, how does that play out in the Chinese media? And could you explain why terrorism and use of that word is a sometimes sensitive issue in China? Um, terrorism and Chinese media in uh, general, you know, um, like uh, has been pointed out in an article I saw, you know, in the Independent of uh, UK, um, there was talk of uh, Chinese government uh, spokesman or officials not really coming out on the quick to comment on the event, uh, but only doing that much later. As we know, Chinese media is really state media, as it were. I mean, uh, there's no, um, you know, the main uh, news outlets here are state-owned. And therefore, journalists take their cue from uh, government officials, and much of the news is actually channeled in such a way that it reflects the state's, uh, you know, interests. So to the extent that uh, Chinese officials did not comment on the saga until about four days after the unfolding of, of the event, this was actually through the spokesman at the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs here in Beijing, uh, the Chinese media really just went on to regurgitating uh, content from uh, other news channels, particularly Western. Um, and and uh, but because, you know, they, I think, in my opinion, they seem to be, the journalists, the editors, seem to be, you know, scrambling and uh, cropping around to find an uncle to give it a Chinese uh, perspective. And to that extent, therefore, it seemed like there wasn't much clarity on what stand or what angle using journalists uh, they should uh, take on the attack. Of course, apart from the fact of pointing out that one Chinese national lost their life, the, the lady that uh, lost uh, her life here. I, I, I think you brought up a really, really good point. I was wondering, uh, in, in addition, it, you know, because of issues like um, Xinjiang or, or, um, or Chinese, Chinese Muslims in general, if, if that background um, had anything to do with with the delay in, in, in using the word terrorism or, or, or commenting on that issue? 
Sure. Um, did China's uh, background and China's issues with Chinese Muslims and um, the province of Xinjiang have anything to do with how it commented uh, on the Westgate attack? Sorry, you'll have to repeat again. I got, you know, this guy did nothing. Well, no, no worries. Uh, Dr. Kalu, maybe you, you can ask a question. Maybe this question is just the fates have conspired so that it can't be asked. <laughs> um, well, the problem, oh, well, not a problem, but an interesting challenge that the Chinese are having to address is... Um, how to care, well, citizen diplomacy, really, how does the Chinese government um, take care of its citizens abroad? We had the recent um, kerfuffle in Ghana with um, deported illegal, uh, illegal Chinese miners, and now we have this incident in Kenya, which, yes, was not targeted specifically um, at Chinese, but what, what sort of options do you think the Chinese government um, has in terms of um, promoting the welfare of its citizens abroad as well as showcasing um, its its interest in protecting its citizens abroad. What 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 do you think um, the discourse is on that right now in Beijing? Oh dear, Doctor <laughs> <laughs> Ancalo, I think it's uh, the, the the challenge is on my end. I can hardly. You know, it's not so much anything else other than uh, just breaking. Um, I guess we might start to terminate with some very sorry. Well, here's let's let, we can be let's try to be a little bit more creative before we end this. Winslow, are you able to copy and paste a question into the conversation? Yes, let me. Why um,
uh, under the directorship of uh, the embassy. So it, it appears to be that uh, indeed uh, the Chinese uh, state, and as well as other actors like uh, bosses of uh, companies, uh, seem to do take care of their citizens abroad. And uh, this uh, reflects in the Westgate uh, uh, terrorist attack. Um, I, I think a further point to, to make here is that um, uh, the Westgate Mall, uh, its location is in the upmarket, uh, you know, wastelands part of Nairobi. It is not necessarily frequented by the Chinese. If it had been uh, in other parts of the city of Nairobi where there are many more Chinese, uh, probably if the Chinese were targeted, then it will have been perhaps a different story. And uh, if, for example, you know, God forbid, I mean, um, but if uh, the Chinese had been particularly targeted, probably we should have seen a much more, you know, robust response uh, from the Chinese end of things. You recall in uh, 2011, uh, when the Libya uh, saga was underway, the, the, the Chinese state actually sent, uh, you know, put the Chinese citizens on flights uh, and evacuated them from uh, Tripoli and uh, other parts of uh, that country. Similarly, we've seen um, in cases in Ethiopia, for example, when the Chinese uh, oil prospectors in a part of a remote part of Ethiopia were attacked. Um, the Chinese uh, government actually organized an evacu evacuation. Similarly, in Sudan, when uh, a similar matter seemed to happen, what has really wrangled some of the observers is that the Chinese state did not react expeditiously, as did um, you know officials from uh, other parts of the world um, when uh, the attack uh, did happen. Um, and and, and uh, then, of course, then uh, the question then that arises is uh, whether China has the best interests of Kenya at heart, because it will have uh, been uh, thought that the Chinese government, or at least at the embassy level, uh, they will have been the first to come out to say, you know, we stand with the Kenyan people at uh, this hour of need, as did um, you know officials from other other countries, particularly because the Kenya, China now is uh, Kenya's number one uh, economic partner. And um, of course, as, as has been pointed out elsewhere, uh, to the extent that the Chinese are interested in, in stability in Nairobi and Kenya generally, and of course, Africa at large, they should be seen to not only be responding where many of their nationals are concerned, but in any incident that has an impact on peace and stability, which is really the foundation and the base for economic development. I, wow, I think it's a really comprehensive answer. Um, we, um, due to... Um, yeah, th th thank you so much. Due to the uh, technical difficulties, um, how about, uh, Bob, can you give us a recommendation that you have for this week? And then maybe after that, you, you, might, um, you might sign off um, so we, we don't have to, you don't have to hear us break up on you all the time. 
my recommendation would be like would be that um, I think the Chinese uh, state uh, actors will do, will do well to respond. In fact, this is the thought I had uh, when I first saw the attack and after the initial uh, you know concern about family and so forth back home, you know, family and friends. Um, the, the other thing that then I looked at as a researcher was to see how the Chinese uh, government was reacting to this. It seemed to take ages, days actually, before uh, we could get any uh, sort of uh, response from the Chinese government. And even then, it was only at the level of uh, uh, spokesman. And in matters, it, it is possible that uh, perhaps the senior you know, political leaders in China send uh, messages of condolences and uh, so forth to the Kenyan leadership. But uh, in the court of uh, public opinion, uh, it will appear that the Chinese uh, state and uh, political actors might not have thought as, uh, you know, in a big way like this, President Obama, this again, Cameroon, you know, the uh, President Goodluck Jonathan and other leaders from the African continent and so forth. So my recommendation would be that in um, cases such as this, uh, the Chinese state ought to come uh, pussyfooting and uh, delay, <laughs> you know, perhaps thinking too hard before responding and respond on the go. Uh, perhaps the second thing is that also the Chinese government has already been doing one or two things on the peace and security end. Hello? Yes. Um, Yes, and, and, and for, for instance, in Nairobi uh, in 2011, the Chinese government supplied CCTV cameras, you know, closed-circuit television cameras. The, the, the Chinese government has also been involved in contracts for security projects, uh, you know, principally companies in the ICT telecommunications area for, you know, for example, surveillance and so forth. So, they, 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 and, you know, the, uh, in addition, of course, the Chinese uh, government is involved in anti-piracy activities on the in the Gulf of Eden, there are for securing parts of East Africa that uh, generally include the Kenyan uh, you know, territory. Um, all these, I think, have not come out in the, in the open yet uh, to demonstrate that actually the Chinese are involved in one, or, one way or another in as far as uh, security issues are concerned in the country. And yet, this will be primed and projected as a means of demonstrating that the Chinese are not aloof. Uh, I'm just wondering why the, the state, the Chinese state, has not actually come out to show these as exemplars of their support for the security situation in Kenya and uh, the Horn of Africa region in general. So uh, my recommendation then will be that uh, I think the Chinese uh, uh, actors should not be shy in pointing out some of the areas where they have supported directly or uh, directly the security, the security situation in countries such as Kenya that face terrorism, uh, even though the policy, their policy of non-interference uh, usually is a leash, is a kind of uh, deterrent for them to go that direction. Uh, Those would be my major recommendations today. Yeah. Bob, thank you so much for for your time. That that was that was really great, and I, I think really really insightful. And I hope we can we can have you on again um, with a better internet connection, and and so we can really hash out some of these issues. 
Um, but but yeah, th thank you so much for, for coming on. Okay, that, 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 that's okay. Thank you so much. It was uh, not that easy with the internet connection getting a bit tricky, but I hope, uh, my apologies on, on that, but I hope next time it will be smoother. No, no worries. Thank you for your patience. So, Dr. Kalu, we're going to try and press on with our own recommendation. I am recommending an article from the Journal of Current Chinese Affairs that is on um, <laughs> ethnic and racial studies. Um, and it's titled, The Vulnerable Other, Distorted Equity in chinese Ghanaian Employment Relations. And how did you come across such an article? Chinese in Africa and Africans in China um, group of um, scholars and practitioners that are interested in these in these issues and the article is authored by Elena Thiel and um, and I'm going to butcher her name so bear with me Dr. Karsten Geese I believe <laughs> oh I've butchered so many names on this show <laughs> thank you for 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 bringing that to, to our attention and 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 yes the the africans in china chinese in africa research network is the bomb and i recommend anybody listening to to try and get up on that if, if they ever get a chance i'm gonna briefly touch on on my recommendation and then we're gonna close up so there's this article written by Mr. Hongshang Huang, or Huang Huang Shang, who is um, a really cool guy. Uh, I, I think we, we were both in like a Google Hangout with him a few months ago. That's right. So I'm happy because the dude is making moves. He wrote this article, Rhino Horn Trade Thrives in Joburg, for um, the Mail and Guardian. And man, it's a really cool piece where he's just talking about how easy it is to find um, uh, rhinoceros horns in, in, in Johannesburg in, in, in certain markets. And, I mean, there's this great line where uh, this person is like, oh, you know, so um, Hongshang Huang is, is Chinese, and the person he's talking to, I think, is South African. And the South African says, oh, you know, you, you Chinese, you can't find the horns as well as we can. Let me show you this, this place to get them for you. And he just pulls out of a huge box. And, and I mean... It's just a, a really a really neat article, and I'm happy that that um, it's it's getting traction, and I'm hoping I can have him on at some point to to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was that was really really cool, and also talk talking about African agency, the African agency in in yeah. the ivory trade. Um, so uh, so yeah, I thought that that was really good, um, and and. Yeah, that's that's basically it. That's about it for today's episode. We would like to thank Bob for joining us this morning slash evening because he was recorded from Beijing. I'm so sorry about the technical difficulties that seem to have been following this podcast around for the past month, but we'll we'll try to figure out ways to get better at that. Uh, I'd really like to thank we'd like to thank the Af um, uh, African Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we applied to put this on iTunes a few weeks ago. We have not gotten anything back on that. I don't know how fast Apple is in replying to these or, or in uploading these, these podcasts, but we'll, we'll see. 
Uh, we hope to reach out to more media platforms in the future. We'd also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.